Gloria Postis is a painter dividing her time between New York City and Hoboken, where she has her studio. She received her BFA from the University of Washington in 1976. She credits her years working as a set designer and scene artist for the dramatic, character-based elements of her paintings. She has participated in exhibitions at public institutions and universities, including Wing Luke Museum, Manor Contemporary, University of Washington, Henry Art Gallery, Monroe Art Center, Seattle University, ACT Theater, and Seattle Center Art Museum, where her work was chosen to showcase International Women's Day. She has designed sets for many leading theaters, including notable productions of A Christmas Carol, Hamlet, The Doctor's Dilemma, Hedda Gabler, and Salome. Gloria Passis, welcome to The Creative Process. I'm Mia. Thanks for having me. So, you know, as a figurative storyteller, your work really employs these bold colors and movements and often obscure faces in New York City or East Coast settings. And there's this kind of kinetic energy and elements emerging from the subjects, whether they stand alone or in rooms or on the subway or your latest series where there are dancers that we can relate to, even if we're not dancers, there's this beautiful sense of compassion and connection. And you create this aura of deep insight into the people you see around you. How did you come to this connection with your characters that you paint? I just feel there is already a connection, something I have to come to, but that I'm trying to search it out or see what's already there. I feel that we are truly connected as a world, and I'm just trying to make people aware of an existing connection we already have to you know, send that message in there. And I like to do it in the form of, I guess you'd call it mundane, you know, uh, a mundane image where it's not about bells and whistles, but it's about something in it makes you want to look and you want to know why. And it's because you've been there before, regardless of whether you're a dancer or that particular guy in the subway, you know, you've been in his head in that mood that he's experiencing. Well, that's what you do so well is you really invite us in. And I think because of the many years you spent as a scenic production designer, even acting in a theater on the West Coast, of course, in Seattle and San Francisco, the number of productions you were involved in, it really gives that it's just not a surface view. You want to know why they're there and you put us, you root us really in their mental headspace. Yes, that's exactly, you put it so well. Thank you. That's exactly it. Maybe, you know, of course, my years in theater art has led me to paint the way I do. You know, I paint people as posting still lives. And I am interested in what makes people tick, which is why I paint. I guess also long in on people as an image to paint because often, well, growing up, artists feel singled out or just the outlier every time. <laughs> but I just knew there was a connection, and I just wanted to make people aware of this. And obviously through theater, theater in itself is basic storytelling, but it's also reminding us of our common humanity. And that's what I'm trying to do, really, in a nutshell. And some of those dramas that you're involved in, of course, very well-known plays have this kind of social message, like Of Mice and Men. It's yeah. the, the great dramatic pieces. You worked with uh, Intimate Theater, Act Theater, notably for a long time with collaborations also for the Seattle Children's Theater and their productions like Hamlet, A Christmas Carol, A Doll's House, Salome, Three Penny Opera, which you also acted in, Two Gentlemen of Verona. 
And I don't know if you can piece together the evolution of your artistic style from some of these productions that you worked on, West Side Story, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's a great variety to really challenge both the scenic artists and the visual artists. I've always been fascinated by the interaction of people and why they say and do the things they do. I gotta say, I'm particularly interested in murder mysteries myself. If I were to go watch the TV, it's because at the end, they round it all up and they found out who the killer is. Because murder mysteries, more than any other story, they answer the question, why did this guy do this? And I, that's what I like to answer the questions, why people act the way they do. Now, you can find that regardless of what the theatrical production is about. I tend to like classic stuff, but I, I can't imagine a more fascinating topic than people and what moves them, what, what makes them act the way they do. I just can't think of anything more. And the goal of my work in particular is to make people just stop enough to look at it and then be reminded of themselves a little bit in what they're looking at regardless of what they look like compared to the image. And that's it. Sometimes I'm just sitting at a coffee shop watching people and trying to invent stories. It's just a fascination for me. And theater was great. I could see how theater impacted my work because actually I have a broad brush when I paint, mainly. And it gets kind of fuzzy as you get close, but as you go further, you see things. That's the discipline of the theater is to make you paint. You're painting up close, but for an image. That can be seen from a distance, from the last chair in the theater. <laughs> so that's kind of my thing. And I think that gives it its iconic memorability and the emotional power because it has that thing. Because you always ask, what makes a great artwork? And it is that thing, that immediate connection, but also that it's memorable over time. And in this digital age can also be reproduced. Your work is so fresh and contemporary. And yet there are callbacks, not like inspired by, but I would say in the lineage of Munch or Goya's Pinchera Negras. And because you do sometimes the black background, but it's not like in the style of, I just mean it has that power that I associate with those two, which are paintings yeah, that I admire very much. And also yeah, that I, spiritual element too of Munch. Yeah, I really love those very artists that you mentioned. It's how insightful. Yeah, I I like a bit of drama and I know very well that I don't paint within what is the cool thing to do right now, but you just can't be who you're not. You just can't. And this is me and, and I'm a contemporary person in the world and this is what I'm sharing with people. So regardless of what category, what stage in art history, I'm a product of this time and I choose to focus on this stuff. You're meant to paint the way you do for a reason, just like you're meant to be in the world as yourself for a reason. And whether you match what the current look is irrelevant. You're just meant to be you. I just think of this as me. And you do strip away and get behind the layers. Sometimes we don't have time to look at other people. You see, even people don't have the time to have self-knowledge. And so there's this very unique sense of isolation. At the same time, you're getting to the real core of these people who you may have seen, you may have photographed, although they never look like photographs. Your interpretations are always very emotional. And sometimes there is this critique that's even maybe, I think only you would see it. There is a painting that I remember, which is of one of your granddaughters. And the interpretation is that I think it was probably a loving image of a child being held up and sort of crying. But the way you interpreted it, is very different. Perhaps you should describe. 
Oh, yeah. So my granddaughter, and it was the Christmas time when we took this picture. Behind her, it was sort of like a halo. And I got that from Macy's Christmas star that they always put up on the building. And behind her, I imposed her image on top of this Christmas star image that I saw. So I have a certain connection with Lexi because she's a soulful, observant kind of person. I don't think she's shy in particular, but she likes to hold back and observe. Maybe that's my connection with her. But yeah, there is always some connection that I see I want to draw attention to. Sometimes I'll paint images of people watching parade go by, but nobody takes pictures of the crowd watching. And just to focus the attention on, this is what you're missing. I like to do stuff like that. And it's just to draw attention to an aspect of humanity that I'm just trying to make people pay attention to. That's all. Like sometimes walking through Times Square, you see all the razzle-dazzle. And then every once in a while, you see a dilapidated little section of Times Square. And I'm going, look at that. That's a good, nobody's noticing that. I don't know what it is, my fascination for just zeroing in on stuff that nobody will look at. But I just like that. I'd like to say that another artist I like is is Rothko. And most people, in my opinion about him, is that I just can't help but getting sucked into his pictures. I stare there for the longest time. Everybody has moved on and I'm sucked in. (laughs) I want to achieve something to stick people in that place. Just keep them still for a second. I see that they have this aura around them. Yours is more figurative. Obviously, you have that emotional content that's more specific, but maybe you're drawn to this aura. Yeah, I am drawn to that aura. That's exactly the word. I don't know why. So it's like I paint first and ask questions later, which is a lot, kind of the job. You don't quite know exactly why, but you just got to do it. And how long you've been doing these dancers? It's not the typical depiction of dancers. They could almost be people engaged in a struggle or lovers. It's not as one thinks of the pretty idealized ballet dancer. But what drew you to that? It's because I consider life a dance, really. A dance that some dancers are clunky and some dancers are graceful. But it's a dance, a compromise, a puzzle, kind of. And it just has a lot of elements that I can draw comparisons with life. You know, the dance of the planets, that's all. There's so many dances all the time, all around us. And do you know what they're all saying? Yes, no, maybe. But that's what we're in. And we're trying to figure out why are we here? Why do I have to do this dance? And what's animating me? I just like the way there's a lot of analogies between life and dance between the way people interact, you know, people who are not dancers. I just like that lines can be drawn between regular life and dancing. We've been doing a lot of interviews with dancers and Johan Bourgeois' work because I see a sim- not a similarity, but he works on the energy forces and people and the sense of isolation. He's a choreographer, a circus artist, and this really important focus on space. You managed to do that with the greater challenge, which is the traditionally static form of painting. Like dancers have that access to movement and they have access to the collective energy. But you get that through the solitary act of painting, which seems to me an even greater challenge. But also, too, the advantage that this art has over dance is it freezes the moment, a moment you miss because, you know, 
time goes by, the dancer's got to keep moving. Yeah, but you miss something unless somebody freezes it. You know, you could kind of compare it to planets in space or two people just going around the planet wondering, you know, just the daily grind of the beginning of the day to the end. Twirling in space, that planet is in itself twirling in space, twirling around. And I just want to give people a sense that we ourselves planets. Yeah, I see that. Now, as you say, that they celestial bodies, and it's always interesting to watch that. And I'm drawn to time lapse or these kind of things where you can see the gradual progression. This is called The Dancers, and this is part of my dancing series. And you could interpret this as two planets twirling in space. And it kind of evokes the question of what are we doing twirling in space? You know, But it all started from just the idea that I got to paint this. And this, of course, was just a small picture of the entire image. You know, I'm just watching it on TV, take a shot. And I go, you know what? The only thing I like about this whole thing is the two heads. So I squished them together a little bit and, uh, and that's it. And it appears now as if there are two planets floating in space and it evokes existential questions. But that was the purpose of that. And also, as I look at that, it could be the same person because you have this connecting line. So in my interpretation, although I can understand that they're dancers, they might be two versions of the same person. One, the watchful, aware one, the other one in abandon or passion or this more free gesture. That's just something I get. And there's maybe like a dark mirror between them. Mm -hmm. There's multiple interpretations, which is also lovely about your work or even their lovers. I'm not sure. That's what I like because you don't answer all the questions. Right. And I try to make my figures not so gender specific necessarily. Sometimes you can guess, but the image on the left is actually was a man. You can't tell really. And the right one was a woman, but the idea that they, you know, it could be the same person. Yeah, I'm just very fascinated also by the whole idea of what gender is, you know, because in my head, I'm kind of masculine. I don't comport myself as transgender or anything, but I think I operate in the world like a male in a lot of respects. And I just want to bring that out that I think a lot of people do this. They may look female, act male in a certain way under a certain spectrum. It's all mixed up, but it's very fascinating age we live in. It's as if, you know, we're just being made aware of all these things that was, were already there, that we are on the spectrum of things, on the spectrum of female, on the spectrum of male, and then we look a certain way outwardly. That's all that is. You know. Do you imagine that if you were born today, because, you know, people have their gender pronouns, do you imagine that you might define yourself Differently, if you were born into the world of acceptance today? I think I'd basically, you know, heterosexual female, this was still do. But I know, you know, when I'm just by myself, I don't even think of myself as a pronoun. I just think, hey, this is, I am me in the world doing me things. <laughs> yes, that's the interesting thing about when you are painting. It's for everyone, because there are others who are not having that emotional connection. But in a sense, you do, it's an act of looking, it's an act of listening that act of seeing. And in a way, you do become that which you're painting. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe I'm just trying to walk into a painting and find myself. We should describe what this painting is. Well, she was a model that I superimposed an imaginary background. 
And she's painted, obviously, not in a realistic style, but in the colors that I was moved to use while looking at her. And in this case, they're exaggerated. But I see these colors and I put them down. I made her a lot more pensive. I, I find that when I'm painting, I make most of the subjects a lot more pensive than they actually were. It's as if, had they been thinking, they would have looked this way. Or maybe it's an indication of what I'm experiencing or an indication of myself of what I'm thinking. But she looks pensive in this and drawn to the black swirl of hair around her. You know, her body in a translucent style, putting the focus on the head, which should be the focus, obviously. And there's just a lot of expression that you can get from looking at the face, which is why there's a concentration on the face. And I use colors to evoke a mood. And I feel like the reason I paint is about not showing an image, sharing an image, sharing a likeness. It's about the mood of that person. And you can't get into mood as good when you're just trying to nail down a likeness. You get it because of the way you feel toward it, the colors that you are inspired to paint as you look at it. And in my practice, I'm just more drawn to the inner life of that person and expressing it. And so there's no need for me to get into likeness. Yeah, and you're intuiting as well. Even though they are strangers, you may be intuiting the stories that hide behind their interior lives that they aren't sharing, but that somehow express themselves or seep out through the eyes, through, as you yeah. see here, the hunch of shoulders, the tightness in the mouth. Mm -hmm. And you have the indication, but just gesturally of a skeleton as well. And so that kind of tension and at the same time married with this ethereal light so it's this grittiness this kind of feeling of you know these mostly they're people in urban backgrounds it's very rarely there might be some bits of nature but it's interesting mm -hmm. when you do treat that uh, and that contrast i think that's what i really enjoy about them oh. and the hair is living it's it that's where there isn't a lot of nature in your paintings but everything is alive so we see her hair and that has this kind of vibrant energy and emotion even the hair which is you know mm -hmm. usually you know part of the body it's kind of an expression of it but it's in the background it is alive and so every part of the painting is alive with the motion even though you're focusing on the figure there's a charge there that's personally what i appreciate and i wondered when you said you see these colors or you're also painting for us from your training in theater you're imagining what it might be way way at the back of the theater and I wondered, because you're quite myopic naturally, like you use yeah. you know, glasses and contacts to help you see, but I'm wondering how you might work with that or how does that tinge the way you see the world? Yeah, I use whatever I can do to see something besides the obvious. And you do that by squinting, by half looking. You just go into it, not as you faithfully copy something, but just going with it. And yeah, from a distance, you know, this doesn't look as exaggerated as it does when you're close up. The exaggeration of color, of dark and light. But training in the theater arts just makes you more aware of basic shapes and how they're going to reach from a distance. And another thing, I was trained in getting the composition, not right, but just balanced. A balanced composition, that takes the precedence. If you don't have a good composition, forget about the rest. So... <laughs> I work the composition until it works, and then I go from there. But in that regard, you could say, yeah, I am old style, because that'll what starts painting, ends up painting. You're like, the composition, the bones, the frame on which the whole thing rests has to be good. 
Yeah. And talking about a few of the influences that have also gone into creating you as a whole artist, you also danced. So you have this element that goes into your mother also designed clothing and you grew up assisting in that. So in terms of costuming and knowing the whole visual and emotional presentation, you really are a fleet, like a whole artist. Yeah, there was that. And there was also, from my dad, a sense of engineering. He was an engineer and logical-minded, like you'd say, left brain, I guess. But I got more of the artistic sense. But yeah, it's good to have a solid engineering background. Speaking of walking into paintings, I don't know the title of this one. It could be a tender moment, but it makes me have lots of mixed feelings. So obviously I exaggerate the colors of the skin. The actual image was people at a street fair and they're sitting down eating something. And it looked like they were discussing something serious. So I spied on him a little bit and took a picture. He had shadow on his face and it looked like he was either regretful for something or just mulling something over. And she was obviously doing a lot of the talking. So I just thought I'd capture that. You know, a moment we all have known where, you know, a little bit of an aside, hey, let's discuss this. I've got to talk. <laughs> the we got to talk conversation is what this is. Maybe I should entitle we got to talk. Yeah. And for those not looking, we got to talk is a, an excellent title. And the colors on his face, I mean, sunburn isn't even the word for it. But <laughs> yes, yeah. so you could think of that, that emotion, which I guess that you're pulling out the hidden elements. Maybe they wouldn't present that when they're out in public exactly, but you saw maybe this undercurrent. That's it. That's what I like to do. You know, paint people as if they're showing their insides on the outside. When I grew up, it was common for parents just to bottle it in. Now parents are more expressive. They pretty much overshare with their kids. But yeah, bottling it up. It's like the, yeah, that came standard parenting. Never admit that you're breaking down on the inside. And because of that upbringing, of seeing that people bottling it up or bottling it up to a point until they break and bust open, I saw that and I wanted to paint it. I want to uh, expose what people are thinking on the inside, feeling on the inside. And, and I think that's a good thing. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You're growing up in the 50s and 60s and it's, take us back there for those of us who didn't have that experience. It was like a more repressed time. People were kind of expected to be sunny on the outside. Going to a therapist was frowned upon. It was like a source of shame. Now it's just an open thing. I'm a baby boomer, you know, and then after that era, it was, we became hippies. And then after that, we became new age, whatever. And uh, everything they say about that time is true, you know, and it produced a lot of artists that just want to break out and be free. I couldn't understand why people would want to be bottled up As a child, I saw a lot of sad things happening and I was wondering, can I be the only child that sees how ridiculous the adults are? So when I became an adult, I thought, dang it, I'm going to expose everything. And I don't think I'm any different from a lot of artists that just want to break out and be free. We're looking now at this painting. I don't know if she's a performer. She has a mask on. It's taken during the COVID time. She was somebody walking down the street with a mask. And in the background, I just decided these lines that weren't really in the, but they kind of control like a map or something. It could be a map, could be trees. I just decided those wiggly lines were what I wanted to do. So the background is imaginary, but she was just actually, there's this microphone here. 
So I saw this on TV and she was being interviewed. One of the demonstrators, I guess she was demonstrating in support of George Floyd and his family. And I just decided to shout out her, you know, the dark side, all these conflicting elements that she might be feeling. A little bit of actual skin color comes through, but then at the end of the day, there's this dark forebodingness and scary eyes. You know, it is a frightening time we're living in now, you know, and I like to, through suggest the frightening situation we find ourselves in. Actually, I find her eyes quite beautiful. That's that resilience, that standing up, as I understand now that it's a protest, it's a defiance. And we all know also how difficult it was to protest then because of being at the height of COVID, you're putting your life on the line and you yeah. somehow capture that in this image without us really knowing exactly what it's about. You just have to look at her and wonder why. Yeah, I like that. I feel I succeeded in that way then. But yeah, it is still a scary time we're in. And there's a lot of artists, artists to use toward their art. It's just a very transitional time for it. And you yourself got COVID. It was a very scary time for you and you were hospitalized. Tell us a little bit about that experience and maybe how it reordered the way you prioritize things or maybe got back in, into your art in a you know deeper way? Well, yeah, there is a setback after having COVID. You just don't have the energy to do stuff. And whenever I have a period of not working on my work, then I come back with a vengeance after I'm able. So I think actually before I got COVID, I was happy that we were sequestered that the whole world was sequestered. I'm in, I'm doing artwork. I'm, but the actual COVID experience, you know, it got you thinking why it's happening and why it's happening now. As you can see in the painting, there's a lot of red and blue. It was left-leaning liberals and the red is right-leaning conservatives. And as you see, she's mixed. She has it both in her. That's how I see the world that we're, that there is a major reset we have to do and we all just have to get along and we all have elements of both liberal conservative practical idealistic in us not of course that we should you know welcome somebody like an extremist into our lives of either party but that is what we're in now now back in the 50s 60s it was the republicans and democrats in the united states they weren't as combative as they are now. There was a lot of agreement. There was like foregone conclusion. They're all going to pass the, the Civil Rights Act. But now every little thing. And at the part of the reset button is people understanding that they can now not just rely on government for everything. If they're so undecided, the smartest heads in the room can't figure it out. We have to do our part to just reach out and see how we could help somebody and not care you know, as long as they're not a, a guy with a semi-automatic, just reach out and look at them. Personally. You just have this very compassionate and always upbeat finding beauty in places where others don't necessarily see it. I think that also you may underplay, you actually were, you could have died in hospital. So I was wondering what, what were you thinking when that happened? Or maybe you were always feeling you would pull through, but it was quite close. Because I had on top COVID pneumonia. So then, of course, I have low blood pressure. So I thought for a second, oh, is this going to be it? And I own that. So, and then I just carried on. But I was there during the time of the January 6th insurrection. And with that on the screen, that was way too distracting for me to think about my problems. So 
I really do try to use everything I go through as possible use in my work. You don't often do direct political paintings, but now when you mention sure. January 6th, and you've done the protest paintings, but not like it was a slogan painting. It was more like, what are these people feeling? You know, why are they yeah. doing it? Mm-hmm. The collective energy of groups and crowds. So do you have some January 6th paintings? The answer is no. I'm just influenced by everything around me and it just all gets into the soup. Yes. Some paintings have a great sense of solitude and this is where the nature is coming in, but perhaps you could describe this series. Yeah, this was a lady. She was in a hospital. I'm thinking she had COVID. It was something I saw in the news. So she's lying down. I take a shot of it. Was it India or Asia somewhere? She's just lying down in her bed. Behind her is not that image, but you know, a hospital image. The uh, background was just a wallpaper show. And I superimposed the decay of death with the exuberance flowers. And you would never guess it. That's what's nice. You don't have this sense of, oh, this is on television, but your interpretations. There's just some things where you have to superimpose the foreground and background to make something new. It just calls for it. And uh, the colors, of course, I exaggerate. I like an image where, you know, there's flowy elements, there's contrasting elements. This arm here is kind of, that's her hand obscuring her face a little bit, but then it's also kind of the colors of flowers. So it's like reaching up, becoming part of a flower-like thing. But I like to juxtapose. And sometimes I'll draw likewise people like that. Do you like when you know the subjects of your paintings or... Do you prefer to have that anonymity and voyeurism and and not to know their stories? The answer to that is, as much as I like the people I know and like to paint them and have painted them, a person you don't know is going to be less critical. A a person you don't know gives you more freedom to do it the way you want, whereas a person you know will go, oh, you made my nose too short or something. And it's for that reason, the majority of my stuff is people I don't know, just for that freedom. Or if I do... You know, I try to push the limit if it is a person I know. Push it. How far can I push it before they stop? And I push it pretty far. So Yeah, because that's that feeling of the obligation through a commission or what you might have felt sometimes in theater. You can be expressive, but you have to be to a story and you're of service to someone else's life or their presentation in the world. And so, yeah, yeah, but I don't think there's in the way of my art. You know, you get these reactions from people who view your art, and sometimes it's like they're completely on the same wavelength. Sometimes you get responses of interpretations of where they saw something that you hadn't uncovered, and you get surprised by those. Yeah, it's amazing. And there's people unschooled in art. They they come up with interpretations or insights. You know, I'm just the conduit, and you showed me some insight that I didn't even think of. Sometimes they actually interpret it exactly as I wanted. And I go, wow, you got that. That, you know, gives me hope. And I think that because inside each of us, I think that when we're born, we kind of have the spirit of an artist, you know, we're a little bit wild and imaginative. Yeah, exactly the spirit of an artist that a lot of people have, you know, kept. And it's a lesson in that we should keep that ability to wonder, the freedom to recreate something to our image you know, to our way of seeing the world. That's all good. And that's what a child does without knowing, but it's to retain a bit of the childlike. It's 
and necessity. It's also a huge challenge just to maintain your childlike wonder, seeing the beauty in things, being open to the magic and maintaining that through maturity. And you definitely retain that. I want to know about the different art forms that you've been involved in because you have acted in a number of productions. And that was more accidental. You started in through the stage design and you, I think you were doing The Hobbit. Yeah, I was almost done with finishing up the stage design. This was my high school and it was a massive stage. I'm on a ladder painting something up high and the director looks up at me and she goes, we could use another L, you know. Are you in? Do you want to? And I go, okay, you're the director. So that's how I got into acting was through stage design, through The Hobbit as an elf. So just an expert. You you enjoyed that process. It gave you this compassion that you show through your paintings. And so what can you only do in theater, you know, acting, performing? And why did eventually choose fine art painting as the, the art form that you really speaks to the core of your spirit? Well, like I said, it came from a kind of repressed background, but not that repressed. But I think a lot of what art is for me is freedom. And I chose painting over drama because you're free. You're down the line. The entire thing is up to you, unless you have a gun pointed to you. But the entire thing, start to finish, canvas, paint, brushes, you know, knives, whatever, whatever you want to use. It's all up to you. I chose the complete freedom of painting over acting. Uh, You can say in acting, you get to move. Okay. You get to move around and express yourself that way, you know, and I I appreciate all the art forms for all the different freedoms you can get from or the different perks you could get from it. But, you know, painting, I don't confer with a committee or a director of photography, you know, to do my thing. I must say that the more I paint, the happier I get. That's me personally. I wouldn't say that every artist was like that. But yeah, it's sort of like it's a meditative act. And then you could further that by saying, I carry this idea that I'm an artist throughout my life, throughout from waking to sleeping. I carry it around. So I want to say the act of painting is meditative. And the fact that I chose art is meditative because I'm always analyzing everything I do, everything I see here, as much as I can, you know, you could always zero and on so much, but it is in itself a meditative act. And the preparation that goes before it is also meditative for me. It's, it's all positive. And I wonder how you found that place of freedom, because a lot of people have to really study to learn how to meditate. You know, there's books and videos and all this stuff. And how did you find that parallel way of freedom where you would really let go and express yourself and express how you see and think about the world without judgment? Well, I think it was a process when I was little. I was always living in my head and like not being in the moment because I'm not hearing what people are saying, but trying to get to why they just said that. So I was always trying to step back a little as opposed to getting involved in things. And I think that's kind of what meditation is. You're stepping back. Let's look back at this, set the dial to zero, and now analyze the scene and try. So I was always doing that. Then now I'm with a guy, another artist, Ed Teddiello was his name, and he reintroduced the meditation to me. And as a person who does like the standard meditation, I'm not successful all the time. My mind does wander, but I, I get better with practice. But like I said, 
the act of doing artwork, the act of preparing to do artwork is meditative. You're standing back as opposed to getting sucked along with all the baggage. And so as you think about the future and you take in this complicated world we live in, and as you think about the kind of world we're leaving for the next generation, what were some important life lessons to you? And what would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? Just think independently. And I would like people to remember that without some hope, compassion, that there is no civilization that continues on if that doesn't help. I just want right now, especially the next generation, to know that we are all one and we have to remember that. And we have to know that civilization doesn't continue. There is no such thing as a civilization, just dictators in the world. There are regular people helping each other out. And I, I guess that's it. Just remember our common humanity and celebrate you. You know, everybody's happy with who they are. You know, dang, that's a lot of problems solved right there. <laughs> you know, you as you are, you know, obviously all the good things you naturally are. Remember it every day you wake up or else, you know, you got to keep reminding yourself because this is how we make the world better. Well said, we all are part of this community and we, we don't go looking for the miracles. They say, you are the miracle and yeah. you show that. You show that in your work. So thank you, Gloria Passes, for the honesty of your art and compassionate image making that invites us to have this sense of connection and wonder and appreciation of the lives and stories of everyone we meet for your work that allows us to step back and to opening our eyes to the dance of life. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you, Mia. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interviews produced on this episode was Andrew Green. Digital media coordinators are Jacob A. Preisler and Megan Hagenbarth. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you'd like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.